0: Hello, my name is Jody Lima, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Tricia Elam Walker, who's author of the recently published picture book, Nana Akua Goes to School. And we're going to be talking about another picture book, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, which was written and illustrated by John Steptoe. Uh, I actually did another podcast about this very same book way back in February of 2017 with Jennifer Baker. Uh, It was only my seventh podcast at the time, nearly but not quite 80 podcasts ago. So if you want to take a listen to that one as well. Uh, But first, like always, we're going to start with a poem. And the title of the poem I'm going to read today is Calling Home, and it was written by Jane Yolen. Calling Home. I remember now the sycamore summers, one long block from the bay, how we teased the neighbor's bulldog till he chased us, teeth and tail, both ends grinding away, to the one big tree with the low limb that everyone could climb but me. I remember the mothers leaning out into the soft southern night, calling us home, our names an accident of place. Francis Bird, Willard A. Bubba, Mary Alice, and me, the northern intruder, Jane. How quickly the agony of August ended all our games, till now, in the hot flashing winter that is my life, I wait beneath that phantom limb, still awkwardly out of reach. Behind me I hear the grinding sounds of Ms. B's bulldog. And somewhere yet, my mother leaning out of the screen door, floral apron dusted with flour, saying my name into the darkling dusk and calling me so late back home. My guest today is Tricia Elam Walker, assistant professor of creative writing at Howard University and author of the novel Breathing Room. Her picture book, Nana Akua Goes to School, was just published this year. You can find her website at TriciaElamWalker.com. I thank you for joining me today, Tricia. Thank you
1: for having me. Glad to be here.
0: As I mentioned, you have this uh, uh, new picture book that just came out this year, Nana Akua Goes to School. Can you talk a little bit of what that book is about? Sure.
1: This book is about a little girl whose grandmother is from Ghana and West Africa and bears tribal scars on her face, tribal markings on her face. And the little girl loves her grandmother dearly. She's actually her favorite person in the whole universe. But she's very worried because it's about to be grandparents' day at her school. And she knows that um, kids have, you know, pointed at her grandmother and thought she looked scary. And they had another incident in the park. So she's worried that kids will be mean to her grandmother. And, you know, as most kids want to be liked and they don't want to be singled out and they don't want to be different. There's all of that, those kind of emotions going on for her. But she loves her grandmother and she is finally able to tell her grandmother why she's worried about her going to school. And the grandmother has an idea that she thinks will solve the problem. And it does. And so it's really about accepting cultural difference and appreciating it. And I think my hope is this is a good time in our country for people to be looking for those kinds of books. What
0: inspired you to write this particular story?
1: Um, Well, it's funny because I had the book contract first and I did. Have a book in mind. So I was approaching my deadline and I had sent all these different ideas to my agent who doesn't mince her words. So she'd say, nope, that's been done before. Nope, that's boring or that's depressing. (laughs) And I was getting depressed and getting close to the deadline. And I happened to be, I'm a Buddhist and I happened to be somewhere chanting and the place where I was chanting had these two African masks on either side of the altar. And I kind of, it sounds kind of hokey, but it, I really feel like the African mass were kind of talking to me as I was chanting and the story started to develop. And initially I thought it would be a little girl who had the tribal markings that she was embarrassed about. But then when I did some research um, later on, I found out that probably that generation would not have them, it would have, been, it would have to be an older person. So I may, decided to make it her grandmother. So that's kind of how it came about. <laughs>
0: And I don't think people realize that in a, a, a picture book, there's often a lot of research and, and work that in, that goes beforehand, before you even get words on paper. And, and even getting words on paper is, is, uh, you know, quite a process itself, even for you know, people, I think, people think that it's a very short book. So it must be very easy, but there's actually a lot of work that goes, uh, into creating, um, something like that.
1: Jody, you're exactly right. Cause many people have said to me, Oh, that must have been so much easier than your adult novel. And I was like, No, it was not. <laughs> even though it was short, cause true, there was a lot of research, especially I'm not from Ghana. Um, but so of course I wanted to represent, um, the country and these people authentically and correctly. And so I had to do research. I had to talk to folks. My, uh, the illustrator had to do research because we also use, um, some symbols in the book to help. You know, help the children at at the little girl school understand. You know, the tribal markings. So we use these symbols that are called Adinkra symbols, which are very ancient in um, uh, Ghana, and they represent different kinds of um, qualities in people that you might aspire to. And so we had to research those, and there was a lot lot went into it. It takes a village to write a children's book.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And you mentioned your uh, illustrator. I should say the illustrator is April Harrison. And I'm I'm curious because I've talked to other picture book writers, and there's always different ways of collaborating uh, with illustrators. Sometimes uh, there's a direct uh, collaboration. Sometimes it's more indirect. Sometimes there's none at all, and just um, the writer finds out what's going to happen after the book is done. I'm just wondering, what was the particular um, collaborative process uh, with you and this illustrator on this book?
1: Yeah, with me and April, it was mostly the latter. I did not know who the illustrator was going to be, and I should tell you that my um, the initial way that I got the book, book contract was with another book, and that one I knew the illustrator, and the illustrator and I collaborated as we pitched the book. But When they gave me the separate contract, there was no illustrator attached to it. So they found the illustrator and they they told me who they were offering it to because she's so renowned that, you know, she gets to choose what book she wants to work on. So I was sort of, I knew of her work and I actually had a piece of her work in my house for maybe over 20 years and I didn't even realize it was her. But in any case, so so I really felt like, oh, this is meant to be. So I was really, you know, so hopeful that she would love the book and she did. Um, so, you know, I remember asking, you know, as we went along, I'd say, is there anything I can look at? I'd say that to my editor, the agent, they were like, no, not really. (laughs) And so they kind of kept me out of it. But eventually I can't even remember how, but April and I, you know, exchanged each other's contact information and she did show me the, what the cover looked like. So that was what I I got to see that. And I was like, okay, all right, this is going to be fine. (laughs) You know, they're always a little bit nervous. And I think we did have one conversation which she said, "Is there anything that's really, really important to you um which kind of meant she wasn't gonna ask me a, about a bunch of things, but she wanted to make sure you know if there was something that was critical and I said it was really important for me the little for the little girl to have natural hair and so she accomplished that, and she gave her these two little puff balls, which a lot of little black girls wore growing up, and I was like, perfect so <laughs>
0: So there, so there was a little bit of that, and so and it's, it sounds like knowing the, knowing the illustrator was at least somewhat of a relief, although you still had that sort of um and you know anticipate you know what is it are things going to look like uh, when it's finally all done.
1: Exactly, but I was blown away by it. I really feel like she breathed life into my characters, and I've, I know I've said this a number of times, but that's how it felt. I mean, the characters lived in my head, but she actually you know, gave them bodies and eyes and movements. And I just love what she did.
0: And do you have any plans for any other books in the future?
1: I do. As a matter of fact, my editor has already said, well, what's next? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this book just came out. <laughs> Can I have a minute to breathe? <laughs> but I have, you know, I, I sort of had the feeling she was going to be asking me for something. So I have something that, you know, I'm working on, I'm tweaking it. I'm not ready to show it to anyone yet, but we'll see. But yes, I would love to write more children's books. It's been you know, challenging, but an absolute delight.
0: I think all authors should at least try to write one children's book in their life, even if it, because I think they they'd learned a lot about, you know, writing and all sorts of different things, just uh, trying to uh, write a children's book, which, like you said, into the picture book is is a lot harder than people realize and uh, setting out.
1: And, you know, I always wanted to do it, but I love children's books mainly because of my mom. My mom was a children's book librarian, a children's librarian, and she would read children's books like, I don't know, she was reading adult novels and she would read them all the time. And we would sometimes feel like we would tell her the house is going to burn down while you're reading this children's book because everything else would go away. She would just be in that world of the children. She really said, she thought that children's books could solve the problems of the world. She really believed. So she gave me that great love and I'm just, you know, she's not here anymore but I I really feel like this book is for her and because of her. Hmm.
0: I wouldn't disagree with that thought. <laughs> Now, the the book you picked uh, as one of your own favorite children's books is also another uh, picture book. It's uh, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters by John Steptoe, and it was originally published in 1987. Uh, for readers who haven't had a chance to uh, come across this book yet, can you tell a little bit of what that book is about?
1: Yes. So first of all, this book has won several awards. John Steptoe wrote it and illustrated it. He is an amazing, phenomenal artist. So the artwork is incredible. Um, it's very layered and there's shadows in it and all kinds of patterns and textiles. It really feels like, you know, it's three-dimensional kind of, even though it's not. Um, but it's a story, um, it's an African story, and it's about a father with two da- two very beautiful daughters. However, one daughter is quite mean and the other daughter is very kind. And there comes a time when the prince in their community, um, kingdom, I guess, decides he wants a wife. And so all the women of the the, the place are supposed to go and, and meet the prince and he's gonna choose a wife. So in some ways it's a very you know it's almost like a fairy tale. And uh and so these two daughters are kind of competing, even though the one who's very kind is not really worried about it and doesn't even really want to leave her father. But the the daughter who's less kind is is really scheming to keep her sister out of it. And so it's really a story about being kind, you know, the rewards of being kind and about cause and effect, I would say, for children. So there's a lot of lessons in it and it's beautiful and um, I just love it.
0: And when did you first come across this book?
1: This was a book that my mother had and loved and actually it's, um, it's signed by John Steptoe in 1987. So she, you know, got it from him and so I really treasure it. Been through a lot because she loved it and I loved it, but it's beautiful. Um, so I'm told from my mother, and um, and I in eighty seven, uh, my children were little, and I shared it with them. And one of the things that happened um, that I think I mentioned to you when we decided that this is what I was going to talk about is that I was I had I always volunteered for the book fairs at my children's schools because I sort of wanted to make sure that there would be, you know, a diverse selection of books. And um so Mufalo's Beautiful Daughters was one of the books I always chose. And it was on display at the school book fair and I was, you know, I was a volunteer there, so I was working in there. And a white parent and her daughter came into the book fair and the little girl was very attracted and drawn to this book. It was, you know, it was it was standing up and she went Walk right straight over to as soon as she came to the room because it is, it's beautiful. It's, you know, your eyes go right to it. And unfortunately, the mother snatched her away and said, That's not for you. And I was crushed by that and kind of shocked and stunned into silence, really, because I didn't say anything to the mother. But I just felt sad for the little girl that she was deprived of this opportunity, first of all, to have this beautiful book, even if she didn't buy it just to look at. It. She couldn't even, the mother didn't even let her look at it. Um, and it just made me think, wow, you know, what if my mother had done that? What if, I would have missed out on so many amazing books because when I grew up, there weren't books, you know, with um black children in them displayed in any positive way. Really, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. So. So, yeah, I just felt very sad by that, about that. So this book, you know, I remember that incident, even though it was a long time ago. And I love this book.
0: It is a, it is a gorgeous book, absolutely. And the full the full title of the book, I should say, is "Mufaro's Beautiful da- Daughters: An African Tale." And and the original source of the story uh, was um, I found this in the liner notes was from tales collected from the Zimbabwe region. And according to the liner notes, the illustrations illustrations are actually inspired by the ruins of this old trade city. So it actually the the setting is actually it's a very specific um, setting. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about uh, why that's important, the significance of this very specific sort of african setting of the story
1: you know well for one thing um there's this lush greenery all around there's all kinds of birds and uh, little creatures there's a snake that talks to um, both the daughters um you can sort of see the structure of the the kingdom the structures of the kingdom far away there's fences there's People working. I mean, it's very, the background is very rich. So I'm, I'm really glad to know that history. I didn't, I didn't know that before you mentioned it. Um, the forest looks very deep and thick. And there's also, um, it goes from night to day. So you see what happens with the, the change in the clouds. And, um, it's just, the, you know, you feel like the, you're going on a journey with the characters because they have to walk quite a ways to go from the village to the other uh, kingdom where this prince is. So, he really does convey that really well for, this, for the
0: art. I, and I noticed that, and uh, I'm not the first person to make this observation, you know, there's a lot of perils, parallels to this story in the classic Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I taught, I did a unit on Cinderella stories around the world because there's so many Uh, different stories that tell the same in Iraq. There's this folktale, the little red fish and the clog of gold in China. There's the story of Ye Shen in Norway, Katie wooden cloak. And there's just a, there's a whole lot of other examples of this same common story of young girl trying her best who escapes unfortunate circumstances with some help from magic. So what is it about this story, uh, that has such universal appeal? But what makes this particular story unique in the, at the same time?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, it's interesting because the two daughters look very much alike in this book. But as I said, one is pretty mean and the other one is very um, kind. And, you know, as they both go along they, on their journey, they meet the same snake. I think the same little boy who's hungry and an older woman who you just see her face. She's in she's like in the trees or something. And the way they each respond to these creatures It's very telling. You know, a child reading it would it would be able to instantly see the difference between the two responses. And so I think they you know, it's not so much like with Cinderella. I mean, as I recall, they were very mean. The sisters were very mean to this one, to Cinderella. Um, But this is also the, the, the sister who's the quote unquote mean one. And Carl's beautiful daughter is, is, is mean to everybody. <laughs> and so, you know, you really get to see her personality and see how, even though she is just as beautiful as her sister, she's not because of, you know, how she acts on the inside. Yeah. And so I, I really feel like that. So it goes to a, a little bit of a deeper level, but in a way that a child could grasp. So I like that about it
0: because yeah, I, was, I was thinking about titles because titles always fascinate me, you know, why, you know, why a book has a particular title. Because um, the, and I wonder if you thought about the the title is Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, not just Mufaro's Daughters, but Mufaro's Be- Beautiful Daughters. And why they you think that having that adjective in there is so important for us to understand what's going on in the story?
1: Well, I think it goes back to what I'm saying, because they both, they look very, they almost look like twins. Their hair is actually, they have the same hairdo. I'm looking right at them right now, the picture, um, and they both have kind of a ribbon tied around their forehead. So, you know, they they are both very beautiful, but as I said, one is not so beautiful on the inside. So beautiful here, I think, has many different uh, layers to it. So yes, on the surface, they are the same and they're both beautiful, but you know, once you read the story, you know that they're very different and they're. And one is more beautiful in a very different way, kind of.
0: Now the story here is a, a, a fable, you know. It's it's meant to teach children a lesson about honesty and being good. But you know, obviously, it's 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 a very um, you know, there's magical things that happen and animals that talk and things like that. And that just tends to engage kids more. What is it about telling stories like this that engages? Instead of just having a, a book, you know, that kind of gives them a straightforward, you know, be good, uh, don't lie. Uh, but telling a story in this way that makes much more an impression on children.
1: Well, children have amazing imaginations. And so, you know, I just remember as a child when I read fairy tales that later on when I read them, I thought, oh, my gosh, that was scary. That was horrible. You know, as a child, um, it just was so intriguing. Um, and so I think, you know, the idea of a snake talking or a snake turning into a little boy and ultimately turning into a prince, um, even though it's, you know, it's not something kids would see themselves in their everyday life, they want to imagine it, you know, it takes them someplace else. And I mean, that's the thing about children's books, they, they take you to another place. But it's um, so that the lessons you're, you're learning are through creatures, through, you know, mythological things that ultimately, you know, help you really figure something out and help you figure life out a little bit. And so, uh, I, I, just think it just adds another nuance to the story and, um, and really, you know, really provides for a deeper understanding that a, that a child can grasp. Um, maybe they wouldn't if you were just like saying, oh, I want you to understand that you, it's important for you to be kind. You know, it's not quite enough, but, but here where you see the, sn- the snake, you know, responding to the little girls differently, um. And, and those, the snake and the other creature, um, the old woman um, who's kind of headless, <laughs> uh, when those are the people giving, you know, the lesson, I think that um, somehow it, it penetrates deeper. that's the, That's the impression I get, just trying to remember back.
0: I want to uh, go back. You mentioned before about your mother, the idea that children's books can really uh, save the world. And I know I used to use, when I taught, I would use picture books for for older kids, like in in middle school, to help teach different things. And I'm wondering if you think a a book like this, because sometimes we sort of, that, you know, picture books are just for, you know, kids in kindergarten, first grade. But I think there's a value like this, books like this for older kids, teens or even adults um, to um, to sit down and, and or read a book and what they might gain from that.
1: Oh, you know, what? absolutely. And I'm so glad you asked that, because for one thing, my mother used to give children's books to adults as gifts. And to this day, um, family members remember that and they'll re- they know which books she gave them because she would pick them out. For, you know, she really had a particular book for a particular person, for whatever, you know, might have been going on in their life. She really was able to do that really well. And I've done it, um, in my later years, just sort of trying to keep her tradition going, probably not as well as her in terms of matching a book to a person. But the other thing I want to mention is that at the beginning of the, um, COVID situation going on in our, in our world, I, my husband had a bike accident. And he was, you know, very badly injured and had to have some um, brain surgery, emergency brain surgery. And when he was recuperating, he was very concerned. And so were um, the rehab nurses. They were very concerned about his cognitive abilities coming back. And they were they would do little worksheets with him. And in the rehab center, there was a, a cart with children's books on it. And somehow I just thought, let me, let me try this. And it just dawned on me, like, what if, I wonder if, what it would be like. It would be helpful to him to read the children's books. And I have to say, I I probably should write about this because it was the most wonderful thing. We would read the children's books together. I'd read a page, he'd read a page. And then at the end of the story, just kind of discuss it. And all the books we read um, had a message and, you know, you could interpret it one way or another sometimes. And it really proved to be very very stimulating to his brain and really just just the medicine that the doctor didn't know he ordered
0: <laughs> Gee, in this case. <laughs> well, that sounds terrific. That's it does, And it does sound like the great topic for another book.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, so, the, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is that I, I really think that because children's books do try to teach something without hammering it over the child's head, so in a, in, a, in a subtle way, it is something that can be used for adults, for teenagers. I think it'd be really good with teenagers. And you're actually making me think I might try some with my students in the fall because, of course, teaching online <laughs> is probably going to be happening for any of us. Um, and so, you know, I'm always trying to figure out a way to make that uh, a little bit more engaging. And so that might be a way.
0: I think that sounds like a great idea. Um, is there a part of uh, Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters that you'd like to share?
1: Uh, sure. As I said, you know, the, the book begins with a description of the two daughters, and so that you know um, that uh, Manyara is the one who's not so nice and that Nyasha is very sweet and kind. And so I'm just going to pick up and just read just a little bit from one page. Mufaro knew nothing of how Manyara treated Nyasha. Nyasha was too considerate of her father's feelings to complain, and Manyara was always careful to behave herself when Mufara was around. Early one morning, a messenger from the city arrived. The great king wanted a wife. The most worthy and beautiful daughters in the land are invited to appear before the king, and he will choose one to become queen, the messenger proclaimed. Mufaro called Manyara and Nyasha to him. It would be a great honor to have one of you chosen, he said. Prepare yourselves to journey to the city. I will call together all our friends to make a wedding party. We will leave tomorrow as the sun rises. But my father, Manyara said sweetly, it would be painful for either of us to leave you, even to be wife to the king. I know Nayasha would grieve to death if she were parted from you. I am strong. Send me to the city and let poor Nayasha be happy here with you. Mufaro beamed with pride. The king has asked for the most worthy and the most beautiful. No, Manyara, I cannot send you alone. Only a king can choose between two such worthy daughters. Both of you must go. That's the section.
0: (laughs) And I I just realized that I I completely forgot. I I meant to ask you earlier. uh, Was there a part of your own book, um, uh, Nana Akua Goes to School, uh, that you'd like to share as well?
1: Oh, yes, I would love to. Um, So as I mentioned, Nana Akua Goes to School is about a little girl named Zora who is concerned about taking her grandmother, Nana Akua, um, to school because of the fact that she looks different. So I'm just going to uh, read a section where she's um, expressing why she's concerned. Zora frowns and thinks about the last time she and Nana went to the park. Nana pushed her high to the sky on the swings, and Zora was almost flying. But on their way home, a little boy pointed at Nana, and Zora heard him say to his mother, that lady looks scary. And the very next day, a server in the little tea house stared so hard at Nana, she forgot to bring them sugar cookies with their tea. This is because Nana Akua looks different. When she was young, her parents followed an old African tradition. They put marks on her face to show which tribal family she belongs to and to represent beauty and confidence. Those marks never wash off and never go away. Zora looks at her Nana, holding back tears that wait in the corners of her eyes. Nana Akua puts down her potato, takes Zora's hand and says, my precious girl, why such a sad face? It feels hard to explain, but Zora wants to try. She swallows and takes a deep breath. (sighs) What if someone at school laughs at you or acts mean, she asks quietly. So I'll leave it there.
0: (laughs) I think uh, for for a lot of kids, it's something, you know, that they can um, uh, identify, you know, both, you know, their uh, the feeling for their, you know, not wanting to, um, you know, have their people that they love go through bad things and also feeling that within themselves, uh you know, uh, embarrassment or just exactly. not sure what to what to say about things.
1: Oh, exactly. Because, yes, as I said, I mean, all of us, you know, want to be accepted. We want to have friends. Um, we don't want to stand out in a in a bad way. So, um, and children harbor those same feelings, same feelings, of course, so as adults we 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 have to understand that, and so that's what nana does she she really understands what Zora's worried about, and um she comes up with an idea to solve it because of course she wants to go to grandparents day too
0: <laughs> well Tricia, thank you for uh sharing that part of your book, and thank you for also um talking to me about Mufaro's beautiful daughters give me a chance to reread it i always like to reread books uh, that i haven't had a chance to look at right. in, a, in a little bit so thank you for taking the time to talk to me about both of those books today
1: thank you and thank you for giving me a chance to reread mufar's beautiful daughters because when you said it that was the book that came to mind
0: <laughs> you can find trisha's website at trisha Elamwalker.com. thank you for joining me on dream gardens the theme music, titled Altogether, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jlemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.